This is a Broad Pods production. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is Broad Radio. For you, by you. Broad Radio. Here for more. Hello and welcome to Broad Radio for another week. My name's Joe Stanley and I'm absolutely thrilled that my co-host today is the gorgeous Shelley Ware. Hi, Shell. Hey, thanks for having me. To have you back. Yes, it's wonderful to be here and with everyone out there too. And you had an important birthday last week, so we say happy birthday for your 50th. Oh, yes. There you are. <laughs> yes, thank you very much. How was it turning 50? Because I suppose we're told to believe that we're going to have a personal crisis. I'm turning 50 this year and I certainly didn't enjoy turning 40, but I'm looking forward to turning 50. How was it for you? Look, I loved it. I was really happy to celebrate life with all of my friends and family and I think we've been on hold for so long with COVID that it was such a lovely celebration of life and friendship and love so I was really happy to turn 50. Do you think we do 50 differently now to say the way our parents did it? Um, I don't know. My parents were pretty good at celebrating 50 so we had big parties. We're milestone party people so I don't really do the other little birthdays very well but I tend to do milestones very well but I do think that we see 50 as being quite younger. Mm. Like my nana, she looked you know 80 when she was 50. I know. Like she was wearing you know the full (laughs) nana dresses and I look at back now and I think why were you doing that to yourself? Well, perhaps there was no option, though. Like fashion sort of now understands as an industry, obviously, when we are in our 50s, firstly, we don't want to look like nanas. And also, (laughs) we have a bit more of a disposable income. So it's a good market to really target (laughs) and make us feel amazing. But also, I remember turning 40 and feeling really like I was closing a lot of doors at that time. Like I turned 40... That means probably no more children. That means there might be career options, perhaps I'm moving away from or whatever. Mm. Whereas when I turn 50, I feel like this decade, oh my gosh, it's going to be the best decade of my life. I'm just going to do whatever I want. Say say what I want is a bit of a problem. I tend to do that. (laughs) It is certainly around about the time that you develop the give a shit muscle. (laughs) Developed well. (laughs) It's kicked in? It's kicked in. Oh, I look forward to this show. It's going to be a ripper. We're thrilled to have you. As I say, it is a big show coming up. We're celebrating AFLW Indigenous Round this weekend. So AFL's um, MD of Inclusion and Social Policy Tanya Hosh is going to be joining us. She's also South Australian of Australian of the Year for 2021. So she's an extraordinary woman, very accomplished and a true inspiration, don't you think, Shell? Yeah, she's achieved a lot and done a lot for herself and for um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. So looking forward to talking to her. So she's first up. Also following the historic compensation payout to the three women who were found to be sexually harassed by former High Court Judge Dyson Hayden, we're going to be speaking with their lawyer, Josh Bornstein, to learn more about the incredible impact of that particular decision and also to learn about the incredible courage of those three women. And also (laughs) we discover the how-to of investing ethically. I love this because I know nothing about investing at all. Same, same. (laughs) But I would like to know how to do it ethically. So we're going to be speaking with the author of The Ethical Investor, 
Her name is Nicole Haddow and she'll be joining us later on. Now, Shell, before we get to Tanya, who we adore, can't wait to speak with her, but I wanted to mention that this Sunday is March for Justice 2. So you'll be aware last year, triggered by what happened to Brittany Higgins in Parliament House, this incredible groundswell of outrage and anger led to some very hardworking and motivated people to create March for Justice. And on the 15th of March last year, over 110,000 people marched around the country. I was lucky enough to be a part of the march in Melbourne. It was just a beautiful emotional moment. It was calling for an end to violence and inequality for women. And this Sunday, it's March for Justice too, but it's going local this year. It sure is. We're actually looking for, I say we, because I'll be hosting a live stream that everybody can access through the website and YouTube. So we're actually looking for people to do things locally, say walk down the park with some friends, maybe, you know, in your own home or just post a photograph on social media. And I'll be actually sharing that on the live stream. So make sure that you share the hashtag it's march for justice too and we'll make sure we get them up and share them but we want to see people get behind this again because there's still so much more to do oh my gosh it's do you know i was thinking shell that i remember being at university which is 30 years ago and i was mad for a march still am <laughs> love a march um and one of the marches that i went on was called reclaim the night oh, yes. and it was about and Ro over there our producer she's nodding did you do reclaim the night Ro? She's turning sure her did. Oh, it was incredibly emotional and it was about gendered violence again, still back then. I mean, yeah. nothing changes. I remember it being, we were full of rage and then we went to the pub. So we really did reclaim the night that night. <laughs> but one of the things we said is you have to maintain the rage. Yep. And that's the thing about March for Justice. You can't, we can't stop. The fact is nothing has changed that gender violence and that um, the inequality that women face uh, is still really present and it's really yeah. important that we use our voice and our texters and <laughs> whatever big pieces of paper and cardboard you can find around your home and uh, really get out there and make a difference. And, of course, it's it's even worse for women of colour, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women, women with disabilities, um, LGBTQI women. It's, um, it's a far worse situation there, so it's really critical. It is really critical. So like you said, get out there, show your support, and every little bit counts because we want to make it a whole volume. We want to share it throughout the day. So that will be Sunday the 27th of Feb, and we'll get that out there and have our March for Justice too. Yeah, so I'm actually going to be a part of a March for Justice event in uh, if you're in Melbourne and in sort of the Caulfield area, I'm going to be a part of Zoe Daniels' March for Justice. Now, Zoe Daniel, co-host of Broad Radio, is running as an independent in the upcoming election in the uh, electorate of Goldstein, which I just happen to be a part of. And so, yeah, I'm going to be a part of her event on Sunday. And I've got to say, we can all march and we should, and we should use our voices as loudly and consistently as we can. But one of the other things you can do thinking of the amount of independent women running this upcoming election, is think about who you vote for. That makes a big difference. It makes I a think. huge difference to your voice being heard within Parliament. Mm, absolutely. So we recommend check out marchforjustice.org.au and uh, create your own event. It would be awesome to know that hundreds of thousands of people are doing this around the country this Sunday. All righty. It's a big weekend because I'm going to be leaving the March for Justice Sunday morning and heading over to see the Marty Pies playing the Western Bulldogs in mm-hmm. in the AFLW Indigenous round this weekend. And uh, I, it's one of my favourite rounds, I have to say. And so to learn more about it, let's welcome AFL's MD of Inclusion and Social Policy, Tanya Hosh. Hi there, Tanya. Good morning. I used to do Reclaim the Night as well. Yeah, <laughs> same, <those>. same. <laughs> we are showing it's our age. absolute favourite, favourite march. Yeah. 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 It, it yeah. was um, that sense of sisterhood. I think it was one of the first times I experienced that because I was maybe only 20. Mm. Yeah, I was in been. my early 20s the first time I went because uh, I used to work in women's services and so that's how I got introduced to it and 
working in women's services and just hearing about so much sexual assault and domestic mm -hmm. violence, it uh, had a profound impact on me. And um, yeah, that used to be a march that I really used to enjoy the sense of solidarity. Well, I mean, it's one of those things you learn as you age that uh, small, you know, small actions and individuals coming together can make a big difference, um, which is, I guess, let's, you know, that's my little segue into the AFLW Indigenous round this weekend. It's not a small thing. It's a beautiful celebration of Indigenous and Torres Strait Islander um, uh, culture. Uh, it's uh, hailed as a way of learning and celebrating. Um, and it's not something small, is it? It's something really important. Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, I think the second year that we're doing Indigenous Round in AFLW. So very, very excited that we have the round. Um, and we just have so much enthusiasm for the round from the players. And it was very much player-driven. Um, all the players, not just Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander players, but all the players across the clubs were very clear that they wanted an opportunity to highlight Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander contributions to the game, um, particularly as they established their own legacy in AFLW. Uh, we've still got a long way to go in terms of seeing the potential realised, but we're off to a cracking start. Now, Tanya, we started to see all of the stories of the jumpers come out and they've been absolutely fantastic. And one that stood out for me has been the, the Suns with Jared Harbrow and the work that he's doing within the club. He's an ex-player, but now he's really giving back to the club and, and sort of not making it so tokenistic. That's been really wonderful to see, hasn't it? Yeah, look, um, I think that, you know, so it's it's an interesting conversation, the one that you raise about tokenism, because I think I've often used tokenism to very good effect. Mm. Um, you know, whatever the mm. opportunity is to put Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and issues up front and centre are really important. Um, I was just this morning looking at uh, the press release from the Lions as well with um, the jumper that Ali Anderson has helped design and um, the footage they've put out from her wearing the jumper but also wearing something more traditional um, and posing. And I think that what women will bring to Indigenous Round will be um, different to what we typically see the men bring. Um, um, and I just think that, you know, having talked to a number of the AFLW players, I've got such a strong sense of how meaningful this round is to them. So, um, yeah, I'm sure it's just going to get bigger and stronger and louder. And I look forward to that growth. One of the things I've really loved, Tanya, is I've seen that a lot of the players are discovering their own culture as they're going through the process of exploring um, the Indigenous round, they're actually learning about their own families and heritage. So obviously it's had a huge impact on the players. Yeah, look, it definitely does because you're suddenly having conversations beyond, I mean, the jumpers get done, but, you know, it's not like they just get up, go off and get designed and come back. Uh, I know there's a lot of team and staff and player engagement in the whole process of the design and working with artists and we're seeing more and more just as Shelley mentioned about Jared Harbrow we're seeing more and more players bring their own artistic and cultural um, expression into that work which I think takes quite a degree of confidence um, I certainly haven't ever produced any artwork that I want displayed or printed on a jumper <laughs> no. um, so I, I think I I think that shows a lot of confidence and I think this is one of the key conversations for our nation as well, isn't it? You know, that we're very clear about who the first peoples of our country are, but I think the, you know, some of what we're still working through is what is our national identity and that's a hard conversation to have if people aren't engaging with their past. I think the beauty of Indigenous Round is that it connects all Australians into Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander culture. It is that time to explore and celebrate. And I, I wondered what your favourite design was this year. Have you got one or is it like saying my favourite child? <laughs> <laughs> Look, um, yes. I choose not to answer that question. <laughs> oh, fair enough. <laughs> it's a tricky question to answer. So where can people find well, the designs and the stories behind every jumper? 
they'll be on the website and I know that they'll be they're definitely on each club's website but they'll also be on afl.com um, and yeah you definitely will see uh, more material getting pushed out over the round this week um, just helping you to understand what goes into the jumpers what they what they really mean and that they're not just attractive designs there's a lot more to them than that Tanya I want to ask you is it enough to have the Indigenous rounds, both AFL and AFLW, you know, um, they're really beautiful. It, it gets us all talking and celebrating Indigenous culture. But we're still seeing, and I'm, I'm referencing a couple of stories I've read in the last week, one from Jakara Egan, who's become the first Aboriginal person to coach under 18's Vic Metro, and also a story from Matthew Stokes that both made the point, it's great, but we need more Indigenous people in senior roles. Is it enough to do this? particular round no no mm. of course it's not um you know it, it's important absolutely but it's not enough on its own um and it, it never will be and i think the points that both matthew and jakara are making are you know very important points i mean they're both people who are playing leadership roles in the game and so they will have their own first-hand experience just as I do, just as Shelley does about being involved in the industry and what that can be, what that experience can be like as um, an Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander person. I think, um, you know, we're very clear that um, the growth of Indigenous participation has to be more than just on field. Um, we're incredibly fortunate as a code when you think about the, you know, the excellence and talent um, that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander brought, people have brought to footy has been substantial and I think will always be, and not just at the elite level, all the way through. But, you know, we are having, you know, serious conversations about how do we change this? I mean, when I was appointed to the AFL executive in 2016, it made me the first Indigenous person ever on the AFL executive and only the second woman. So, you know, I think we're, we're travelling in the right direction, um, but we can never underestimate how much work there is to do. What I would say, though, is I do think there's a greater understanding about why that contribution beyond the, the playing field is important. Um, and and so I think that we will continue to see, um, you know, clubs and the sector as a whole, you know, take hold of opportunities. Um, and I'm really excited that this is the first year that um, in the code, we've got Indigenous player development managers established in every club. And what kind of impact are these development managers having already that you've seen? Well, I think just to be that... Um, Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander presence in the club um, and you know they're not roles that you know player development managers have been in clubs for a very long time um, and you know they've got a very important role looking after the well-being and really being in touch with um, where players are at and supporting them with whatever needs they might have on or off the field but to have you know Indigenous people in those roles who aren't there um, just to be asked to do the rap or organise a rap launch or um, organise activities and activations around the Indigenous round. They're actually there for the players. And even if it's a club that doesn't have a lot of Indigenous players, they're there, they're able to educate um, the rest of the club on what it means to have Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people included in their club, in their game, in a meaningful way, um, to help prepare the ground so that there is a, a high degree of cultural competence when an Indigenous player does arrive. I don't think I've spoken to any club um, in my um, almost six years in the code where I haven't been told we want to be the club of choice for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander players. Um, so, you know, in order to do that, do it successfully and make it a fair, equitable and positive experience where Indigenous players can do their best, whether they're uh, men's players or women's players, then the environment has to be right. It's got to be culturally sound. Um, it's got to be prepared to understand that uh, there's cultural difference that has to be um, supported and observed. Um, and in many cases, I think what clubs find out is that they're actually better and stronger for it. And that quite often, um, you know, what I, I find is that people are surprised to realise that some of the things that a Indigenous player might prefer 
a lot of people prefer. Mm-hmm. Of course. Absolutely. And actually, that makes me uh, reference a comment from Katrina on our socials as she's watching this. She says the love, she loves the different vibe of inclusiveness at AFLW um, do you, uh, in the crowds there. Have you noticed that mm. yourself? Because it's the same. Isn't that what everybody wants, that kind of inclusive vibe? Yeah, look, I think that's one of the, you know, really special things about W, isn't it? I think it is an environment that um, is quite different to the men's game. And I hope that's never lost. I remember the first W game I went to, um, well, the first few in the first ever round. And the it just took me back to going to community footy as a kid. Um, there was a, a vibe of celebration where I think there was just a joy about being able to collectively share in supporting women in sport. Um, And, you know, I think that when you go to a W game, you know, my sense is that there there are definitely cohorts in the group, um, in the crowds, who feel more, somehow more included, more at home. And I've certainly heard um, from a number of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander families um, how they find that W just feels um, that bit more comfortable for them. Mm, I love that. Um, to change tack a little bit, Tanya, I wanted to raise the fact that I saw via your Twitter um, some photos of you at the National Press Club when Grace Tame and Brittany Higgins spoke a couple of weeks ago. You're the first person I've come across who was actually in the room. What was it like? <laughs> yeah, it was uh, pretty electric. I mean, obviously both... Um, Brittany and Grace gave amazing addresses. Um, so I was, I was very privileged um, to be able to be there, um, not doing a lot of travel these days. So mm-hmm. um, it sort of all came together. I was um, sitting with a really powerful group of women and I have to say that, you know, the women that were in the room and it was a large majority of women were really wanting to hear what was going to be said and shared and wanted to think about their own contributions um, to these conversations and I think give us just that chance to reflect on um, not just the stories of Brittany and Grace but all the stories that we know whether they're our own or whether they're the stories of our sisters, our daughters, our mothers, our grandmothers, our aunties, um, to know that these stories have been hidden for such a long time, the the sense of really positive energy that, that comes from, you know, that display of, I think, quite, you know, courageous expression um, from survivors is, um, yeah, it was mind-blowing, really. Yeah, wow. Well, and coincidentally, we're about to speak about more courageous women who are survivors and have shared their stories and have incredibly uh, pursued justice and held truth to power, which is um, what that was all about and what we have really been, I don't know, it's been a a year of that, hasn't it, Tanya? Quite an interesting year. Look, it has. I think one of my reflections, though, is that, um, you know, I think Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women, women of colour, women living with disabilities, there's a whole range of women who've been telling these stories for a very long time but have never really had the cut through that we're seeing at the moment. Um, And that's not to take away anything from the power and opportunity that this moment presents uh, But I think what it does do is also highlights how long um, these stories and experiences have not gained the attention that they should have. Um, And, you know, I have been in many conversations where, you know, women are wanting to um, tell their stories and are feeling emboldened to do that as a result of um, this current movement, which is in many, many respects um, because of Brittany's experience, because of what Grace Tame has achieved um, as Australian of the Year and even before she was Australian of the Year. Um, but I really hope that we see an opening up of space for other women who've been extremely and very much suffering in silence and when they have tried to lift their voice um, being completely um, marginalised and victimised further. 
So beautifully put. Thank you so much, Tanya Hosh. It's always a delight to hear from you. You present everything that you say so eloquently and with such grace. I just, I adore your work. Thanks so much, Tanya. Thank you. It was great to be with you. See yes. you. Take care. Yeah. So don't forget that the Indigenous Round this weekend, you can see it on uh, Foxtel Channel 7 KO, uh, stream it live on the AFLW app or just go along, like support yeah. the girls. It's an incredible mm. day out. It's super fun and it'll be a great moment of celebration. Thanks so much, Tanya. Thanks. Have a great day. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Well, last week, three women who were found to be sexually harassed by former High Court Judge Dyson Hayden received a historic financial settlement. And to tell us about what that result means for all women, we're joined by the lawyer for those three courageous women, National Head of Employment and Industrial Law at Morris Blackburn, Josh Bornstein. Good morning, Josh. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, Josh, for those who haven't followed this case very closely, are you able to very briefly outline what the three women who you represented experienced while working for Dyson Hayden? Look, uh, in about 2008, I was contacted by one of the women involved and she recounted her experience of being sexually harassed while working at the High Court, which was a pretty extraordinary thought at that time. Um, but it soon became clear there were uh, other women who'd had similar experiences. And I um, ultimately ended up uh, acting for three women who laid a complaint with the court. We decided to ask the court to constitute an inquiry. We wrote to the court requesting that and we indicated that we thought there were other women who may have something to say to that inquiry. And ultimately, about a year and a half later, a report was handed to the court. And that report found that the allegations made by six women who had worked for Dyson Hayden of sexual harassment were upheld. And the High Court then issued an apology and a public statement acknowledging what had happened. So did this take 14 years? Did I hear you correctly? It was 2008 that was the first complaint? The complaints process didn't take 14 years because the women uh, involved didn't complain at that time. Um, okay. Like many cases of sexual harassment um, and indeed sexual assault and sexual abuse, there is sometimes a, a long delay before people feel they can come forward. This, I think, Me Too was one of the triggers for these women to start discussing the situation with each other and whether they could uh, face taking on you know, someone who uh, was a High Court judge, one of the most powerful legal figures in the country, and um, ultimately uh, made a call to me, as I said, uh, in about 2018. So a decade after the events in some cases. Um, there's a lot of shame that attaches to sexual harassment, unfortunately, and a lot of guilt. And um, it's processed in very different ways over different periods of time by those who, who experience it. Even amongst the three women that I represented, they were all at 
quite different stages of trying to, to manage what had happened to them and the impact of what had happened to them. Yeah, I've got to say, I mean, I the the imbalance of power always is at play, I think, when something like this happens to you in a workplace and you think about whether or not you're going to speak out. But I can imagine in this instance, when you're dealing with a High Court judge, that is felt very keenly, that imbalance of power. I'm just going to say the imbalance of power was, was dramatic in this case because the women in question, all of them jobs with Dyson Hayden, um, straight out of university. They were the most talented young law students of, of their uh, generation. And so they, uh, if, you're, if you win the prize for best in law school, that often you go on to become a high court associate and high court associateships are, you know, the top of the pops for, for uh, a young aspiring lawyer. And they found themselves working in the highest court in the land, the most powerful legal institution in the land for one of the most powerful individuals, a uh, high court judge in, in their first job in the law. So you can't get too much more of a dramatic imbalance of power than that. I mean, it just speaks to the courage of these women, doesn't it? It does. And the courage has grown and grown. And I think we've seen in the last five years, particularly since Me Too emerged out of the US, that more women are coming forward, feel able to recount what's happened to them, and in many cases seek the truth come out and seek some form of accountability. And I think Grace Tame, Brittany Higgins and others have have also challenged us and, and challenged women not to feel shame about what's happened to them because it's a common response to these situations. And I think that's a, been a breath of fresh air as well. So Josh, for women that are watching and it's happened to them, how long is it before you can actually seek justice for what's happened to you? What are the legal terms of, is there a time where it's, you can't anymore? There's, there's a range of different laws and different approaches that are available. It can be quite confusing. In fact, as a result of, uh, I think the pressure on the the federal government, there's now a new law that allows you to seek an urgent um, order to stop sexual harassment. So you can move it quickly. As I said, many, uh, many people don't feel they can in a situation at work. I, I liken the experience of um, women in these situations to being whistleblowers and whistleblowers often uh, fear punishment because they are punished. Um, and so uh, that fear deters a lot of women from coming forward until um, further down the track. The, the formal answer to your question is that uh, you're supposed to try and bring any formal legal application under the Sex Discrimination Act um, within two years of the event happening, but it's not a strict um, okay. cutoff. There's a discretion to entertain claims after that time um, and in the end we took a different approach with the High Court by just asking them to constitute an investigation which was a bit outside the usual channels of, um, of the, the formal statutes that exist dealing with sexual harassment in Australia. And I know that uh, an apology was issued by the Commonwealth and that uh, the Attorney-General, Katie Cash, said that because of this particular case, that it's transformed the legal profession. In what way? What's the implication and what impact will this particular case have? Look, I think the legal profession is still in, a, in a, the midst of something of a cultural revolution. The legal profession is deeply hierarchical and there's a lot of patronage that is sought and offered and gained. And so at the top of the hierarchy in many institutions and legal settings are um, men and that's slowly changing, but it's still, I think, at the higher echelons of the profession, male dominated um, and at the lower rungs, um, female dominated. So it's in many ways a high risk uh, profession when it comes to sexual harassment. But since the, the shock of the revelations about Dyson Hayden, the courts have all reacted very strongly to that expose, if you like, and 
have started to change the way they operate, change the policies they apply, change the support that's available to, to women in the profession. Law firms are doing the same. There is reform going on at barrister level, at solicitor level. So I think the whole process is um, still underway and we've still got a long way to go. Gender inequality is not going to disappear overnight, but there's been some very positive moves in the right direction in the last few years. Alongside that, um, I've acted for women with claims against judges in the Federal Circuit Court. Um, again, there was a positive finding of sexual harassment against a judge of the Federal Circuit Court. He has since resigned. And uh, last week, the outcome of an investigation into the, a judge of the Victorian Supreme Court was announced. And again, two women who I represent had their uh, claims upheld by an independent investigation. So there is still uh, cases emerging um, and being addressed. The courts are now addressing them very um, in, in a very robust way and making a lot of change. And the, I think the cultural revolution will continue for some time. Well, we really hope that's the case. Um, I was deeply moved by the interview of Alex Egerking on 7.30 Report last week. She's so eloquent and uh, really demonstrated how deeply affected she's been by her experience working for Dyson Hayden. Um, I did reach out to her because I, I know it's really important to centre women's voices in this conversation. And uh, I, I wanted her to know that we're not ignoring her, but I also didn't want to re-traumatise her by asking her to come on the show. So I was really pleased that you could join us, Josh, so that we could speak about this. And um, Alex did uh, mention that she'd been support, she'd just received an incredible amount of support uh, since doing that interview um, and I'm really glad that she did because um, she was incredibly courageous in even granting that interview but um, she also said that there are other cases coming out of the Dyson Hayden situation that you're working on Josh. Look there were three other cases that were upheld. I still don't know the identity of those women they haven't been named they haven't come forward. I spoke to other women who had allegations uh, as well but they haven't proceeded but I think what's happened is uh, that the Hayden case has encouraged other women in the legal profession to uh, make complaints. That process has has occurred and it continues to occur and I'm dealing with a number of those matters at the moment. Can I say about Alex, um, that uh, interview, you know, was, uh, you know, gut-wrenching um, and I spoke to Alex both before and afterwards. I, uh, Alex went through a very rough um, period during um, uh, the last few years, in particular, as she confronted the enormity of the impact on her of what had happened um, and that she felt able to come out and speak was, I thought, fantastic. And then when I saw the interview, it was um, absolutely extraordinary. Um, and... Uh, she asked me afterwards, why did I find it so um, heart-wrenching? And I, I said to her, I was so happy that you felt you could speak out and you're incredibly eloquent, and you're incredibly powerful. And I couldn't help thinking what a tragedy it is that you don't, uh, that you haven't pursued your career as a lawyer because what a powerful lawyer you would, you would be. Um, tragically, what happened to her just completely crushed her interest in in the law and she hasn't practiced but when you heard her speak uh, I could just imagine her dominating a court hearing in the high court what a powerful powerful eloquent woman she is and that is a really beautiful thing to say, Josh. And I think across the board, industry after industry, when we hear of women, young women who've ended up leaving their dream jobs and their dream career pathways because yep. they're subjected to sexual harassment, we've seen it in the media, in the medical industry, in music, and like it's everywhere. And you think of the yep. cost to the industries yep. alone. Yeah. Well, the legal profession, what a star she would be she would be if she was in the legal profession. Maybe she will decide one day to come back to it. But I um, I just was 
gobsmacked at uh, what an eloquent, powerful, mm. amazing woman she is, and um, and felt, as I said, both happy and and very sad. Absolutely, I hope I hope that she does go back one day. That would be powerful in itself to mm. come back and do that. But what can we do to make it easier and safer for victims of sexual harassment to speak out and seek justice? I think the I think it is becoming easier. In the middle of the storm, it's hard to actually measure progress. And I've debated this with Jess Hill, who's who's written some fantastic um, a fantastic essay for uh, the quarterly essay on what's going on in Australia. And she she's persuaded me that we are making a lot of progress, that more women are speaking out, um, that there's less shame attached to speaking out, there's more recognition of the harm that's caused by sexual harassment in the community, in the courts. Um, but ultimately, it all boils down to gender inequality. And so the more we address gender differences and, and unequal treatment, the more we tackle um, equality at work and encouraging both men and women to, to take primary responsibility for childcare and share that, the more I think we'll make progress on these sorts of issues. If we encourage men to take paternity leave, which is still very much embryonic in this country, I think that will have a dramatic impact on what happens in the workplace. So uh, I think the struggle will continue, but I think we are making progress and um, have some, some basis for optimism about the future. And just finally, Josh, what is your advice to a woman who might be experiencing sexual harassment right now? What's the first step she should take? So always um, seek out support, um, even when you don't think it's impacting your mental health, it will be. These things aggregate over time. And even though you might think you're coping, um, even if you are coping as a preemptive step, make sure you get support for your health, make sure you get support from a friend or mentor and keep, um, keep a record of everything mm. that is going on. Um, but that's, I think, the, the basic stuff to, to do. Um, and if at some stage you want legal advice about your options, that's, that's another matter, but, um, but really protect health and make sure you've got support and a record of what's going on. And I think also giving yourself permi permission to acknowledge that it's happening. Yeah. I feel Absolutely. as though, like all, you know, uh, to me, all women have experienced it, right? And when I have experienced it, I've felt like I was imagining it or perhaps I'm being hypersensitive or, you know, you kind of create stories in your head to excuse it almost. Yeah, 100%. And I think nobody do, really and... listened oh, before. No, you go, Josh. Oh, I... I I think um, one of the things we do also when we we have a job that we love is we don't want to admit that it might be falling apart, mm. that there might be something that is making it untenable. And so we try and rationalise uh, what's going on in a way that sometimes can end up being very un unhealthy. So, um, so that may start with, uh, maybe this, maybe I'm imagining it. Even if I'm not imagining it, I think I can manage it this way. Look, it is pretty terrible, but I think I'm coping. I'm going to be able to cope with it. And and, and unless the situation does resolve, ultimately it's downhill from there and, and it gets to a crisis point. So I think exactly giving yourself permission to acknowledge it is happening, to move quickly to try and protect yourself uh, is is a critical positive thing to do. And as you were saying, if you are someone in charge of a workforce, you need to listen. Yeah, absolutely. I think I've, I've, like you said, a lot of women, most women, unfortunately, through their careers have, and I had an organisation that wouldn't listen. So that impacted, and what Josh was talking about, not just your mental health, I was actually becoming quite physically um, hurt as well it had gone into another yeah. part of my soul so I ended up having a frozen shoulder from it so you know it, yes. it has huge impacts and then it impacted my family life as well where I thought I was protecting them but I actually wasn't and it wasn't until my son said this is enough 
So it's yep. huge. That's interesting, isn't it? Because that's exactly, I think that's a very common thing. It, it leaks out of your pores in different ways. Yeah. You're, try, you, you're trying to tell yourself it's okay. Um, I'll be able to get through it. I'll manage. No one, no one at home is noticing. In fact, in fact, they are noticing. They are. And, mm. and, and your son was the trigger mm-hmm. in that case. But often, often there's some trigger that actually says, no, this is it now starting or this has had a big impact on me. I need to to address it somehow. Well, Josh, Very thank common you. story. Well, and you must hear so many of those stories. And I, I thank you for being such an incredible advocate for gender equality and for women who have experienced sexual harassment. Um, and I should say it's men as well. It's not just women. But uh, mm. I thank you very much for the work that you do in this area, Josh. Yes. Thank you for the opportunity to come and chat about it. It's been great. Broad Radio. Talking inspo we love, info we need and sharing more of us. Watch and listen live every Tuesday 9am Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time at broadradio.com.au or find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube and LinkedIn at Broad Radio Oz. Talk to us live. Call on 1300 8 Broad. Catch up on demand anytime, anywhere, every time, everywhere. On the train, we'll be here. 2 a.m. existential crisis, we've got you covered. Broad Radio, here for more. Well, Shelley, we were talking earlier, in fact, at the start of the show, that you just turned 50, I turned 50 this year, and it's made me have a good hard look at myself and how little I know about being an adult. Thanks. <laughs> One of the things I've never really thought about is money. Mm. So where my super is, who I bank with, um, what my plans are for investment to get me through retirement, all of those things I seem to have overlooked. But when I think about it, I always want to know, well, I'd like my money to be doing good things. 100%. You know, I I don't want to invest in, I don't know, guns. Mm. I would like that to be not a thing that my money goes to. we don't know. I don't think I would know. I don't know. Really? So uh, it's shameful. It is shameful. My God. Mm. So we're here to be schooled. We are joined by author of The Ethical Investor, Nicole Haddow. Good morning, Nicole. Thanks so much for having me. Um, I'm going to ask, it's not just us that don't know anything about money, is it? It was me. I had no idea. (laughs) That's why I embarked on this. I mean, most people don't write a book when they're trying to work out their finances. But um, I was, you know, I I was thinking, I didn't didn't know about this. And I think a lot of people don't know about this. And I wanted to share what I've learned. So what is ethical investing? What does that even mean? So ethical investing, generally speaking, is simply working out where your ethics lie and making sure that your money is aligned with that. So, um, you know, as, as you just said, you probably don't want to be investing in guns unless you believe in that. Um, for me, it was a case of taking out um, fossil fuels where I could from my investments. It was looking at whether I was comfortable with things like gambling or tobacco or alcohol in my portfolio. Um, and beyond that, it was looking at what I wanted in my portfolio. So renewables, um, you know, sustainability opportunities, uh, aged care was something that was really important to me uh, and being more engaged in, in um, where my investments were. So can we build wealth by being ethically or with ethical investment or is it just to ease our conscience? Oh, we absolutely can. So not only um, can you do the right thing, uh, you can derive really wonderful returns. I mean, if you look broadly at, um, you know, where the world is going, you would logically say, do I want to invest in a declining industry like oil or do I want to invest in renewables? Um, And we're seeing those results. Um, You know, people who are investing ethically are generally experiencing um, an outperformance of the benchmark. So what's the process? It feels enormous to me and I will admit that when I sit down to think about it, I go, oh, my gosh, I'm tired. I'm too busy and I can't do this. What is the process? Um, For me, it was a case of starting with my super. Um, And I think, you know, regardless of where you are on your investing journey, um, 
most people who are employed have a super fund and therefore you know i would say call your fund uh email your fund say where is my money invested when i did this uh my existing fund couldn't tell me um which i just found to be quite extraordinary wow. um I, I was like this is my retirement nest egg why can't you tell me where my money's invested um and that was a huge red flag for me uh and then i started to seek out ethical funds that would list every single um holding on their website transparently there were no secrets and no surprises um so as i said first point start with your super and find out where your money's invested so you actually changed funds because they couldn't show you where they were putting the money in? They eventually, and this took weeks and weeks, like I'm talking phone calls, emails, being told I could speak to someone in a week's time, having that phone call, not getting the information, um, by which point I'd already decided this is not a fund that I wanted to stay with. Um, so, yeah, it was it was a case of... of realizing that this is not information that people are broadly given and saying I want to go somewhere where I can at least get that transparency as a starting point. I actually said to we have got a person that manages our you know super funds and I said to him the other day I would like to know how many women are on the boards at these organizations and he's his head nearly popped off <laughs> he couldn't quite fathom what I was asking him mm-hmm. but there's more than just where your money's going isn't there absolutely um you know as as you say Joe, there's um there's who's on the board there's uh you know how good is the supply chain what are the human rights um considerations this is not i mean a lot of people when they talk ethical often jump straight to environmental concerns and that's a huge huge factor um but it's like how well is this business running um are the people paid properly are they paid on time um are they getting all of their entitlements um you know there are so many things to consider I love this because I try to live my actual life like this in what I buy, what I who I spend time with, all of those things. But I never ever would have thought about my money and what's happening with my money. And I guess that's because I'm not very good at thinking about my money. I hate thinking about money. <laughs> I hate it. But I mean, does... you guys, you guys were talking earlier in the show about marching, and mm. you know, the way I see it, moving my money is a quiet march. You know, mm. it's my contribution to driving. Um, yes, absolutely, marching is powerful. Um, but if large groups of people are moving their money because they're not happy, that speaks volumes as well. Oh, I love that. And you're absolutely right. Like complacency is, mm. it's, there's no time for complacency now. No, so, <laughs> no, not at all. So how nitty gritty does it get? So if you go to a super and then there's something that you don't like, can you say no to that particular organization or and can you really like pinpoint where you'd like your money to go so that's one of the challenges if you go to a general super fund um you are um generally going to have to find a level of comfort with what they offer um there's what i would call an ethical spectrum so the the fund that i'm with now is um no fossil fuels no gambling um invested generally in companies that I absolutely support. Um, Is it absolutely perfect? No. For me to get a fund that would be absolutely perfect to my ethical expectations would be extraordinarily difficult. I'd probably have to go down the self-managed path. I spoke to a woman who's a vegan and it was really important for her to have no animal products or animal cruelty in her her portfolio. you know, if, if you're choosing a, a, a general fund, you're not going to have that freedom. Um, what you are going to have is probably more transparency and better organisations that you can that you can sleep at night knowing that you're, you're invested in. Is there not a person that I can, you know, pay to do this work for me? <laughs> like, yeah. I, surely there's a service that calls themselves ethical investing RS, come to us and we'll be able to tell you exactly where to go with your money. There are ethical um, advisors out there. So um, I, I interviewed quite a few. Um, a huge challenge is that it can be quite expensive mm. to get personal finance advice um, sure. and have really, really tailored ethical investing um, 
support on your financial journey. So you need to be prepared for that cost. Um, the alternative is to do your own research um, and, and you know, look into where you want your money to be invested and see what you can do. Um, it really depends on how much time and energy and dedication you have to, um, to managing that. It's, it's, a huge, it's a huge challenge. So your number one tip for our listeners, what would it be? My number one tip is always call your super fund. Um, that's that's your starting point for sure. Um, if you're looking to get into um, ethical shares or exchange traded funds, I started with micro investing. I started really small um, to get a sense of what my opportunities were and and um, where my ethics might lie from an, from an ethical perspective. Um, the other thing to say is look at your banking. Um, there are mm. a lot of big banks out there that are heavily invested in things that you might not be um, supportive of and there are alternatives now. You don't necessarily need to remain with one of the big four. And I love micro-investing. That's a new thing that I've discovered. Can you just quickly explain exactly what that is because it doesn't require a huge sum that you're investing? It doesn't. I mean, when I started ethical investing, I was, um, you know, housing was a huge consideration for me. I didn't have large sums of money to invest. So I downloaded a couple of apps and um, there are several platforms that have ethical options um, and they allowed me to to invest, you know, cents. Um, you know, there are apps that allow you to round up your spending. So if I bought a $4.50 coffee, I'd set up my app so that every time I bought something like that, that extra 50 cents would go into my portfolio. And that very small sum, you'd be quite surprised, really grows over time. Um, so you're not doing something that's too terrifying. Uh, you, you're getting a sense of how the market performs over time, uh, what that portfolio looks like, learning along the way um, and building up those sums of money that you, you wouldn't have thought about otherwise. I love that. Me too. 50 cents every time I buy a coffee. Yeah. I'm a millionaire. <laughs> <laughs> Nicole, I loved your book. It really felt like a memoir of someone who was basically learning how to be an adult <laughs> because then you turned around and you actually reached your goals, which was to be able to buy a house, move to the country. I just loved that about the story. Oh, aren't we all constantly learning how to be an adult? I mean, you know, I, as you say, I've moved to the country. I'm sitting here in my half-renovated house. I still don't have it all worked out. But, um, you know, taking people on the journey with me is, is really nice. So um, thank you so much. Yeah, no, it was great. I recommend you pick up this book if you have any interest of where your money goes. And let's face it, as Nicole said, we all should. And it is definitely an opportunity for us to, I don't know, make a stand. This is the world that I want to live in. Yeah. Yeah. Nicole, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, we'll be back with more Broad Radio after this. Shelley, before we wrap up the show, I wanted to ask you about a campaign that I saw you uh, speaking on behalf of. It's for esafety.gov.au. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so it's a new campaign hashtag, of course, we've got your back. So it's about making sure that people feel safe online or someone that you know, if something's happening with them, if they're being seriously harassed or someone has shared and, you know, a picture that they shouldn't have shared about somewhere where you can go and report it or get advice on how you can help them so make sure you check it out it's hashtag we've got your back campaign and it's the new online safety laws that help the serious online abuse Mm, my gosh and it is just everywhere and everywhere i'm noticing actually katrina made a comment earlier when we were interviewing josh bornstein about sexual harassment in the workplace she says there's a certain amount of dysfunctional conditioning that has normalized poor poor behavior in the workplace but i think that's happening online now too where we've just normalized outrageous behavior to individuals couldn't agree more and it's probably got a lot to do with why i've pulled back a little bit i don't want to be a part of that as well i've made a decision to not be so vocal or not so much vocal but so present on social media because the way that people make you feel or the way that they make other people feel but if you are suffering or you know someone that is that there is a place where you can go to get good advice mm. so check that out it's at the esafety.gov.au and there's a lot of advice on there and tips on how you can feel safe online 
You know, it's interesting to me that you say that you've pulled back mm. from social media because of the way people make you feel. In a way, does that make you feel like they've won because they're silencing you? Oh, no, I still get on there and dump things. Don't <laughs> worry about that. I just don't care about what they think. <laughs> Ah, and that takes us to the start of the show. So we've kicked in the I don't give a shit. Pretty much. It's like a full circle on this show. I love it, Shell. It's just been awesome to have you on Broad Radio again. And um, we will be back next Tuesday with more Broad Radio. We'll see you then. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.